Greetings, everyone. You're listening to JOI, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. I am the Reverend Mary Vano, and today is a special episode. We don't just have one guest host today, we have four. I'd like to introduce you to some of my very best friends. Morgan Allen is the rector of Trinity Church in Boston. Morning, Mary. It's good to be with you. Daryl Hay is the rector of St. Andrews in Bryan, Texas. Good morning. Great to be here. Greetings from Aggieland. Austin Rios is the rector of St. Paul's Within the Walls in Rome, Italy. Good afternoon and good morning to everyone. And Barkley Thompson is the Dean of Christ Church Cathedral in Houston, Texas. Good morning, Mary and everybody. It's great to see you from Houston. 20 years ago, last fall, the five of us met in orientation at the Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas, and we've been friends ever since. So today I've asked these gentlemen to be here with me to talk about friendship. Let me just say that of all the things that I expected to get from seminary, like biblical knowledge or theological understanding, practical teaching. The one thing that I really didn't expect was friendship. I knew going in that I would be younger than most of my classmates, and I figured that I'd already made my lifelong friends in college. Seminary just seemed more serious, and friendship seemed like a frivolous pursuit. But then that was one of the surprises. We all became really good friends. And though I've been blessed with many friends in my lifetime, these two decades of ongoing friendship with the four of you have sustained me through life well beyond, for example, Cynthia Critchurch's New Testament class, which was awesome, but you guys have been there throughout. Mary, I'm surprised that I liked you and the others on this call and in this group. (laughs) I don't know if you did. You're kind of a misanthrope. I don't think it was a given on the first day of seminary that we would all end up being such close friends. I think that's very true. And I, the surprise of that, I think, is part of what sustains me even now. The people to whom I would have been drawn earlier in my life are different than those to whom I was drawn in seminary to all of you. I don't mean that as disparaging. You know, there were just different qualifiers, different moments, different contexts. And it's so much fun. I feel like we've grown together since mm-hmm. then. I mean, it was a part survival technique. I mean, because we were hard to believe these days, not 20 years later, but we were the young kids at one time, at least in our class. I mean, I was thankful to to have friendships with the rest of the members of our class and still do to this day. But it was clear that where we were in terms of our understanding of this as a lifelong career was a little different than people who are coming in as a second career. And I think that was a natural point for us to bond over. And luckily, we liked each other as well. So that was good. Most of the time, we like most of one another. There were moments. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So as I recall, after seminary, we went our separate ways. And we were kind of just keeping in touch here and there as we could. But about three years out, it seems to me we all realized that we were missing something that we needed. That's when we decided that we would plan a retreat together. That one retreat evolved into a commitment for a yearly retreat, and then we created additional commitment to call each other for a 30-minute check-in every week. What I'm realizing is that our friendship required intentional steps and the level of commitment to maintain that hasn't always been natural or easy. 
So do y'all think it's been worth that level of discipline to maintain our friendship? Yes, I do. Discipline is what sets these friendships not apart, but makes them different from other friendships. I think of you know the friendships I have from youth, the friendships I have from college, and then this set of friendships. This has been maintained in a far more intentional way than those other relationships continue, but I don't have weekly calls with friends from college or from my youth, nor do I have an annual retreat with them. So I think this has been maintained and cultivated in a far more intentional way, in part because of the work we do. I think the necessity of having this kind of friendship and relationship. One first thing which you shared, one is that when I get together with friends from my youth, whether high school or before college, we often talk about life then. That's the primary economy of our discussions, whereas conversations with y'all are about what we're doing now and where we hope to go. And I think there's a huge, for me, gift of starting the conversation in the middle. As priests, really as Christian people, our work is to make room in the community for those who are new to this conversation of being church. Those who have no context, little vocabulary, the jargon of kind of parochial life together. That priestly labor of marching out to the margins as this primary devotion, welcoming and serving those that we greet there. I mean, it has like a particular cost. I feel extraordinarily blessed, privileged to do that work professionally, but it's not easy. And for me, who on that introvert-extrovert continuum drifts into the introvert range and can be really satisfied alone, for me, the work of starting these new conversations over and over and over again is only possible because I have this other cohort. And for me, it's this group of friends with whom I can always start the conversation in the middle and who understand what this weird life I lead now, as opposed to who I was then. And I think going back to what we were saying earlier about how our friendship began, to look back upon our relationships retrospectively is also very interesting. And we'd not be able to do that in the same way had we not had an exercise, the kind of discipline. So when we met, we were young, we were probably obnoxious. We were certainly presumptuous about what mm. we knew in the world and what we knew about priesthood. We're now middle-aged and mid-career. And if anything, if I had to chart the trajectory of our cohort, it would be that we have increasingly acknowledged that we really don't know as much as we think we do. I hope I, and I think we, exercise a humility that we didn't know 20 years ago. And I've come to rely on our friendship even more as we've traveled along that trajectory. It's nice to have friends when you're young and strong, that almost like a gang that can walk through life and barrel through life with you. It's crucial to have friends when you hit the point where you start to stumble. You know that you need your fellow travelers to pick you up and dust you off. I like us better now than I like our retrospective selves. I think we're probably more tolerable in the world, but I know that I need you now in ways that I couldn't have fathomed. And if we hadn't had the discipline that Daryl talks about, and I didn't have you, I'd be lost a lot of the time.
So I'm not sure that people normally think of friendship as a spiritual gift or a spiritual discipline, but I actually think that scripture gives us some examples of how friends can be a spiritual good in our lives, as you were saying, Barclay. One could think of David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, or Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Jesus clearly was really good friends with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. But I think the best material about friendship comes from Jesus's Last Supper with his disciples in the Gospel of John. Jesus is giving his great farewell speech to the disciples, telling them to obey his commandments, telling them that the commandment is to love. And then he tells them, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It marks a transition in the relationship that Jesus has had with his disciples who have been students and servants and emissaries. But here in this final moment, just before Jesus is going to his crucifixion, it seems that Jesus brings them to the highest possible expression of their relationship. And that is friendship. I wonder, has our friendship with one another taught us anything about our relationships with God? I think one of the most powerful aspects of our friendship and the reason that I prize it so highly is because there's nothing that y'all don't know about me. And that's in the positive and the negative. Because a lot of times it's easy, especially in the job and role and calling of being a priest, to have to divide the way you are. Public persona-wise is one thing around certain people. It's another thing. And with all of you as friends, it's really clear to me that I'm 100% myself, warts and all. And that's really important because one of the aspects of God's love that is hard to grasp and to accept is that God loves our warts because so often we are punished for our warts in the larger world. And among this group of friends, particularly, I get help on working on my warts. So it's not that I have to remain with my warts. My warts can be softened, but I'm loved regardless of them. And that's a very, very important thing for me to be able to understand about God's love. I've really appreciated that. Now, I think there's something too in what I hear you saying, Austin, and when I think about so what have I learned about God in our friendships with one another, there's something about difference. We are very different people. While we've all been priests for most of these last 20 years, we've been fulfilling that vocation in very different contexts. And I've always felt enriched by the perspective of each of you from the context where you are. We've been urban, we've been rural, we've been large church, we've been small church, we've been diocesan staff, we've been stateside and in Italy. There's this really terrific breadth the love command, part of it is, is loving one another where we are and what we're doing and seeing God in the work that you do. I just I have so much admiration. I could not do the job that any of the others of us have. I like that. You know, I like that the room for me to both admire and learn and also find a lot of connection. You mentioned Mary, Ruth, and Naomi. The third character in that story is Orpah, at least at the beginning of the story, and Orpah chooses to turn and walk away. We say that the incarnate God is Emmanuel, God with us, and we can know theoretically that God never walks away from us, 
but in our lived friendships, I can't imagine a circumstance where the four of you would walk away from me. And I can't imagine a circumstance when I would walk away from you to have in our weird and challenging and not nine to five vocation, a group of friends that you know, come what may, will be with us. It is an expression of incarnation. It takes what we've known theoretically about God and demonstrates it in a life. And that's invaluable. over time we've created a really safe place to love and to be loved and part of that is that maybe there are some unspoken rules of our relationship like that we keep confidences that we show up as often as we can that we are honest with ourselves and one another and that we hold one another accountable even and i think it's this willingness to commit at a deep level that has made this friendship not only really long-lasting, but also really beneficial. To tell you the truth, I think especially during this pandemic, you guys have been a real lifeline for me. Likewise. I mean, one of the things I appreciated about what Barclay said around Orpa is the idea of walking away from one another. And I can't imagine any of us walking away from one another either. We've actually done just the opposite of that in the midst of the pandemic season. Instead of meeting less and being pushed apart, we've been brought together and actually we up the amount of time we spend with each other as a way of providing fortitude in this time. That's been a really important thing for me, obviously, in a situation that can feel a little isolating away from the United States and away from family and friends there. I feel that connection with you all. Part of what I hear and what you're saying helps me realize, you know, there's no jealousy that I feel in this group. That is, we have relationships individually with one another that somehow build up our friendship as a whole. There's a different connection that I have, Mary, with you than I have Austin with you or Daryl or Barkley with you. And I really like that. And I don't feel accountable to somehow justify or excuse the fact that I might have called Daryl to talk about the latest Bruce Springsteen album, and I didn't call Mary to talk about it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have been parts of groups of friends where those subtle jealousies have existed. The fact that I have this other relationship with Austin doesn't imperil my relationship with Daryl. You don't need to worry. When the new James Taylor album comes out, I'll call Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I just threw up in my mouth. In some ways, you know, that's built in from the very beginning, because one of my first conversations with Morgan, I remember, is at Laity Lodge, and we talked about Bruce Springsteen, and that Mary and Morgan had the specific experience of leading the young adults group at St. Mm-hmm. Peter's that, you know, we weren't a part of, and the fact that, you know, some of us have served in the same diocese for some time together, some of us haven't. Over the years, it's just kind of worked out that way. So it's a nice thing that we have both individual relationships with one another and this cohort where we can really share a lot. And speaking of sharing, I will say that not many people know me as well as you all know me. And it's valuable to have people like you in my life who care enough to tell me the truth when I need to hear it. And I also feel very privileged to receive that gift from you because I think you're all pretty awesome human beings. And it gives me joy to call you friends. Real joy. 
Likewise. Thank you, Mary, for being our friend. (laughs) (laughs) Putting up with us as being the one female part of this group. I think you have exercised the most patience in this friendship, Mary, over the years. (laughs) Well, I do get also the privilege of having my own room wherever we go. (laughs) Sometimes y'all have to share. I mean, I don't know if this direction we want to go, but I mean, those retreats, I mean, are, you know, I certainly enjoy this weekly call every week. And that's always something I look forward to and try not to miss, but I've really looked forward to and really enjoyed the four days each year. And I regret that we're not able to do that last year, but hope we can this year. But I mean, those have been really formative moments, whether it was in Hot Springs, Arkansas, or at the Skylark Ranch or... New York City, you can say it, you can say it. We can disclose to the world only one person has ever missed an in-person group <laughs> meeting, one of the annual retreats. It was me. That's not where I was going. It was the best time ever. Fine. Okay. Atlanta was great. I loved Atlanta. I like Nashville. Just being able to see those cities has been great and to see them in Boston, places I would probably not have gone to. Part of what is so meaningful about the retreat, really our relationships in general, but specifically the retreats, is that how multifaceted they are. We enjoy each other and we set aside plenty of time to enjoy each other's company, but we also study together and we pray together and we have shadowed rectors at dynamic parishes. There's no part of each other that we don't enjoy and participate in. Morgan talked about, and Mary both, friendships from prior chapters in our lives and how when you re-enter those friendships, you re-enter those chapters. And those are great in a nostalgic sort of way. But not only is our set of friendships evergreen, it also fits every aspect of our lives. And I think that's meaningful too. You've seen, and we've seen together fire, we've seen rain. (laughs) Just so powerful and moving. I'm teasing. You might want to cut that out, Mary. (laughs) 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 To me, it's been a continuation of seminary in a sense. I mean, you think about, you know, we were in seminary, we studied together, we worshiped together, we prayed together, we had meals together, we played pool. We've continued through the years. Some of the same conversations pop up from even back then. So to me, it's been an ongoing dialogue from what we experienced back then, but in relation to what's going on in our personal lives, but also what's going on in the ministry as well. I've seen a lot of other priests talk about wanting to have a clergy group. And when I talk about our group, it's always challenging to talk about it in a way that doesn't sound braggy because... Because we're so awesome. I mean, uh, that is what's carried over since seminary. Every one of our classmates uh, who are listening to this will shake their head on that one. I have a lot of friends who are just now being ordained and who are beginning their journeys as ordained people in the church. And one of the pieces of advice that I try to give them is really make sure you have an accountability group of people who can do what we do, which is easier said than done, obviously. But I think the intentionality behind it is something that can help it get there. There's a lot of grace as well, of course, but intentionality goes a long way if you really make it a priority. And this didn't coalesce, as Mary said, until three or four years in. Part of that was due to technology. We didn't have a way of including five people in a phone call. I mean, some of us had flip phones back then. 
Yes, uh, we did. <laughs> before, you know, there wasn't Skype or Zoom or anything like that. So in part, it took three years to kind of come together as it is. So it takes time. I also feel like each time one of us moves when we've relocated, it sort of feels like we're not really there until we visited each other's place. So it really, here when I came to St. Margaret's, it meant a lot to me when you guys took time to stop through and see the church. And I've enjoyed seeing your places as well. I remember one of the most trying times in our relationship was when Morgan and his family traveled through Little Rock and didn't stop to even <laughs> let you know that they were coming through town. I remember how hurt you were. I think actually it was the reverse. I think Mary had come to Austin and called me like a week later to talk about having been in Austin. <laughs> there, there we were. So sad. The, so there the, are some grudges that we hold. <laughs> I think actually probably the greatest challenge to our collective friendship happened at the very beginning when the seminary moved the pool table into the basement of Rather House. That was, that was probably in retrospect an attempt to make us quit using it. <laughs> we obstinately kept going into the basement and playing pool. Well, we seem to be devolving into just giggles. So how about we close this? I want to note that it was just before Jesus calls his disciples friends that he also tells them this. He said, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My friends, thank you for doing this podcast with me. I've had fun and my joy for today is complete. I hope yours is too. Amen. I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us today. If you need a friend, remember that you're not alone because we all need friends. Reach out and make a commitment to keep in touch with the people who make your life more joyful. Please do listen again next time, remembering that our JOY is not complete without you. is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Mm-hmm.